0: I'm Marianne kolbisak bagie Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Attorney Stephen Tepler, Partner and Cybersecurity Privacy Chair at law firm Sterlington PLLC about the security risks of using open source code in healthcare applications and services. So Stephen, the recent Log4j vulnerability emergency has intensified the spotlight on the security risks involving open source code in all industries, including healthcare. Are there any top security lessons that you see emerging from this Log4j situation when it comes to open source code that is increasingly being used in healthcare applications and services?
1: The short answer is yes. There is a huge importation or adoption of of open source code across all all sectors of businesses and enterprise. Um, Healthcare is no exception. The problem with open source code is that while the open source code may provide an inexpensive, quickly available, and fully functional utility for a particular application or service, it also by its nature of being free or usable upon a very, very loosely worded license, tends not to be vetted for security, for exploitation potential. Um, And this can be as a result of many, many, many reasons, one of which is the programmer just didn't bother to do the quality control that the programmer should have. The second is that it may be that the programmer has not updated or changed the system, or that the user, the healthcare organization, has changed or modified its system to take it to permit an exploit to be taken advantage of. There are, there are so many vectors of this that it's incumbent on the healthcare services provider to do that assessment up front in terms of both the managed services that they use as well as the managed services that they may provide so this is both an upstream and a downstream problem and in many instances how can you even know that there are open source components in a suite or an application that that a healthcare organization decides to license or that your programmer that the uh, that the programming outfit that a healthcare organization contracts with is in itself using open source code that has not been vetted.
0: So Stephen, with that said, what are some of the top open source code security risks involving the healthcare sector that are most worrisome to you?
1: Well if you look at Log4J, the ability of Log4J to actually gain administrative to help gain administrative rights in the system is kind of paramount, but any open source component which has the right to access or can be configured to access critical information or critical processes, and they can number in the hundreds. It has to be looked at. What do you do? What does an organization do? An organization who's looking to purchase or license a suite or an application or uh, a platform must have a disclosure from the provider of a one, number one, that the provider is using open source components, B, that the open source components are identified, and C, that the open source components have been analyzed or scrutinized or vetted to minimize the potential for, for a system compromise or cybersecurity compromise. So those are assurances that a healthcare provider or health services organization can ask for. So we won't always get it. And then if they don't, the question then becomes... Whose duty is it to find out, you know, in the event that there is a, um, a cybersecurity incident, a ransomware or an exfiltration uh, or some denial of service, um, you're going to have HIPAA implications. You're going to have an investigation anyway, either through your, your regulator, through OCR or through uh, civil litigation in some way or through a state regulator. And then you, you'll wind up having to do the same analysis regardless and look at everything post-mortem. So really it's incumbent upon organizations to really look at what they're doing when they import, use, license, or decide in some way to access open source code, when that open source code either has access or could access sensitive information through the processes used by the organization. And I'm sorry for being so long-winded about it, but that's pretty much the the universe that we're looking at right now.
0: So, Stephen, we always see innovations in patient care technologies and services, and the pandemic has fueled the development of new applications, devices, other technologies and services, many likely relying on open source code. What are the top potential security and privacy risks you see related to this and the pandemic, and the quick rush to release new products, especially products that, that don't necessarily need to get vetted by FDA or might not fall under the HIPAA umbrella.
1: Even if the product is not regulated or the component is not regulated by the FDA, or although I think that's changing over time, you know, you and I have spoken about this quite often in the past. To my mind, security and functionality of code go hand in hand, it's not an afterthought to incorporate security after you build a platform or a service. So in the end, what are you looking at in terms of potential liability? You have civil liability, if there's a data breach or a ransomware attack, you have not even OCR, not even for the federal regulators. But if you use open source code, and let's use a a, a dire example, use open source code which permits the introduction of ransomware into your hospital system and the hospital system freezes and either goes back to pencil and paper or pen and paper. But even if it does go back to pen and paper, certain services, diagnostic services will likely be unavailable. If that happens and the provision of healthcare is delayed, the delay can cause injury and can result in, in fatalities as well. And so it can be as simple as a diagnostic tool or even an infrastructural tool that permits the operation of your elevators. If your elevator system operates by computers, and most of them do, because they can be programmed to operate in certain ways, and they can be programmed to just stop, and you have to get a patient from the seventh floor to the ninth floor into the, from the ICU to an operatory, and you can't do that and you can't wheel the patient up the stairs, what do you do? There are so many possibilities that an an organization can look to to maybe help prevent or help mitigate. You'll never get rid of everything, of every potential problem or risk, but you should pay attention, or companies should be paying attention to what they buy and where they buy it from and get, you know, indemnification may not help. Even if you have an indemnification in insurance, if you have patients who are, who are injured or suffer con- uh, additional injury or, or health problems, as a result of this, you can have civil liability, which may or may not be covered by insurance. And even your insurance companies may decline insurance because you haven't taken the appropriate steps to investigate the code that you use. And I apologize for my dog.
0: So Stephen, obviously, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the Log4j situation. Are there any sort of groups or, or specific types of open source code that you're most worried about when it comes to the healthcare sector, something that's predominantly healthcare sector use, or is it across the board?
1: It's pretty much across the board. Log4j was, was a Java problem, and Java is pretty extensively used within the healthcare system as well. You know, all the encryption and all the protections and all the VPNs and all of the cloud-based security will not help you if what you're building into your basic processes is vulnerability.
0: So, Stephen, how might software bills of material for healthcare apps and devices and services help? What sort of SBOM mandates might be necessary, if any, or should this remain a voluntary sort of thing in the private sector? We've been hearing a lot about SBOM lately.
1: I think that having this be required might be a stretch, it might not. I think it's probably a good idea to have that kind of quality control and assessment required because of the, because of the implications and the potential consequences to public safety and individuals' health. But in the end, it's either going to be, as a friend of mine once told me, it's either going to be regulation or litigation, but we're going to get to the same place. Because there'll be enough litigation to to force the industry to take those moves. And when I say force, I mean influence them to really see that that it really needs to be done. And if if there's no regulation, there'll be litigation, which will tend to establish the standards, but it will take longer and it will, you know, the consequences prior to the establishment of that standard by litigation is avoidable. Why? Why not? Why not do it earlier? Why not require it earlier?
0: And finally, Stephen, any advice to the makers of these healthcare apps and other products that are used in the healthcare sector on how they can make their products less risky, especially if they do incorporate open source?
1: When a healthcare organization starts negotiating for these types of platforms, applications, what have you, there should be technical experts involved in the negotiation so that if there is disclosure about an open source code implementation, that that implementation can at least be disclosed and vetted by the buyer, by the healthcare organization seeking to use or license the platform. At least give the healthcare organization the opportunity to assess it and say, well, you know this class of, of open source code has been in use for a while. It's been vetted. It's been tested. But this category of open source code maybe not so much. And so your decision to employ one type of platform versus another might hinge upon that. And because and, and one of the you know, one of the problems is that we rush to market, as you mentioned earlier, so quickly that the the rush to monetization overshadows what should be a requirement to assess this code prior to releasing it into the public. This is not like releasing a you know a buggy version of Windows or, or Mac OS and then you know rushing to have a patch a week, a day, two weeks later. We're talking about, well, if if the vulnerability becomes a zero day and it gets exploited, you're going to have pretty serious consequences. So why not take care of business beforehand? It's in the power of the healthcare organization to negotiate this. It should negotiate it. should have very strong technical and legal working together to make sure that they protect the organization.
0: Thank you, Stephen. I've been speaking to attorney Stephen Tepler. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.